0: Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawebible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, we're reading this morning from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is in vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Please be seated. You can take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 127. So as we continue our adventure through this mountain range of the Psalms, Our trailhead this morning is Psalm 127. We find ourselves there. And this is a short trail, just five verses, but it's nonetheless treacherous. Sometimes the shortest segments of the trail are both the most epic and the most perilous. The beauty of this trail is how every step reminds us of our complete dependence upon God. The danger that we encounter on this trail lies in our familiarity with it. This trail is one that we travel a lot. It's the daily grind, it's the short run from the house to work. And so, because we're familiar with it, because the trail is short, because we know this trail and we navigate this trail daily, we fail to remember the beautiful reminder of our complete. Dependence upon God. And so throughout the daily grind, we can just become numb and become independent on God and living in that independence. And so this morning... Instead of introducing you to another, you know, this new item from our day pack, let's just review where we've been throughout the course of this summer and let's reconsider the gear that we're already familiar with and learn to use it well. And so the, the object lessons, the, the visuals are meant to help us understand poetry, this genre of Hebrew poetry, of biblical poetry. And so we brought out the camera early on to remind us that we're dealing with, in poetry, this idea of verbal art. It's intended to paint a picture, and we're meant to see this image on display through metaphor and simile. We also looked at the idea of a headlamp. In Hebrew poetry, unlike other poetry that we're familiar with, which is often cryptic and dark and hidden meanings, and we're trying to figure out what in the world was the author thinking, Hebrew poetry is so different, and through the parallelism, it's meant to provide clarity. Instead of being cryptic, it's self-interpreting. And so the headlamp reminds us that this provides clarity for us. And while on the trail, we put in our earbuds, and we pull out whatever device we're listening to our playlist on, and we're reminded that throughout the Psalms, There is a melodic line that is running throughout this entire book, and it's creating a macro theme for us that ties the whole book together. And what we saw early on is that the macro theme of Psalms is this two-part Torah meditation and Messiah anticipation that holds every Psalm to this um, whole um, macro theme. And then we also looked at this compass. The idea that our hearts are oriented to true north, and his name is Jesus. And finally, we broke out our hammock, which invites us and reminds us to rest in this God and rest in the finished work of Jesus. And so as we continue to journey through the Psalms, We're going to keep these in mind and how we best utilize this gear so that we can see and hear and feel and understand what the psalmist is trying to convey. And so as we consider this psalm, this short psalm, Psalm 127, I just have a couple of observations. As we come to this trailhead, the sign reads Psalm 127. It's a psalm of Solomon. He's a descendant of David, king of Israel. And it echoes some of his other writings. This psalm is very proverbial. Solomon has written tons of Proverbs. And so it's very proverbial in nature. It's also putting life into perspective, much like his writings in Ecclesiastes. Putting life into perspective. Now, the usage of vain in this text and vanity in the other is a little bit different. One speaks of purpose in Ecclesiastes. In this one here, vain speaks of result. But it's also important to note that we're right in the middle of the Psalms of Ascents. These Songs of Ascents, it's a collection of Psalms from Psalm 120 to 134. And they're also referred to as pilgrim songs. This is where the nation... Those they're traveling toward Jerusalem to temple worship in obedience to the covenant, they are going to go to these required feasts and festivals. So if you look at Leviticus 23 or Deuteronomy 16, you can see these feasts that they're required to go to, to attend, to participate in. They'd be singing these psalms along the way. And we find ourselves right in the middle of that segment of songs. And it's really difficult as we gather here this morning in our Western culture in 2021 to really put this into perspective. This is not our culture. We're not on pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year at least, if not more, if you're really spiritual and religious. And so imagine if you can, your family unit is caravanning toward Jerusalem to celebrate Passover in the spring, or Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, in the fall. This pilgrimage is not in the convenience of your Dodge Grand Caravan. You're not stopping at every Motel 6 along the way. No one's leaving a light on for you. Okay, You're most likely on foot, in community, with your extended family. You're traveling together. And you've got your aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews along with you on this pilgrimage. And you're also journeying with your tribal community. You know, So if you had the unfortunate tribe of Dan, you're way up in the north. You've got a long haul to Jerusalem. You, know, you wish you were closer at these times. It's like, come on, why can't our travel be closer? But you're, you're traveling together in community toward Jerusalem. And you're camping along the way fun, right? I mean, we we spent a weekend out here at family camp, which is great. But, you know, most of you are like, eh, my bed's just on the street. I'm going to go home. You didn't have that luxury here. So you're camping along the way. And as you're camping and, and hiking and traveling and journeying, you're singing these songs as you're ascending toward Jerusalem. And this is dealing with the geography of the land. No matter where you're coming from, north, south, east, or west, it's about topography of the land. You're always going up toward Jerusalem. And so as you're singing, you're singing songs of deliverance. God's deliverance of you. You're singing songs of His help. You're singing songs of celebration and worshiping God together at the temple. You're singing songs of God surrounding us, His people, and Him restoring our fortunes. Those are all the psalms of ascent leading up to the one that we find ourselves in. Now we're at Psalm 127. We're halfway between where we live, our house, our village, and the temple in Jerusalem. We're at the halfway point. And someone breaks out in song, which is not uncommon. And they start singing this song. I'm not going to hurt your ears by singing it, so let's read it together just uh, briefly. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. In verse 1, house refers most likely to the temple in Jerusalem. And city most likely refers to the city of Jerusalem. However, you're halfway at this point in the journey and you're singing this psalm and you have the vantage point of looking ahead toward the temple in Jerusalem where you're going and looking back to the city or village you left behind and your house and your flocks and your livelihood. So you're halfway on this adventure. So with both images in view, the song is applicable to both realities and it puts life into perspective. It brings clarity to life. What is that perspective? What is that clarity? Is that apart from God, all our efforts are useless. Apart from God, all our efforts are useless. You see, in this psalm, there's two extremes to navigate on this trail. Being a workaholic and skirting our responsibilities. You know, overworking and just like, hey, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done, to the point where, eh, God's got this and I don't really need to. So we're living on this trail. We all find ourselves somewhere on this trail. And our tendency, not only as Americans, but as humans, is for control, it's for independence, it's for autonomy. That's what we wrestle with, and I think that happened ever since the garden. You know, the two choices, independence or dependence. This crosses all time and space. This crosses all geographical boundaries and nations, and this is a human condition. We think God helps those who help themselves, and we've got to do it or else it's not going to get done. But the beauty of this psalm is that it utilizes all the gear from our day pack, and it allows us to focus. It orients our heart to focus on what's really important. It brings clarity to this reality is that we are dependent on God. This is our rightful place, dependence upon God. And you're going to hear me say this a million times. You probably have already heard me say it a thousand times is that our vantage point is limited. It is. It is. Wherever we're at on the trail, whatever circumstances we face in life, no matter what's going on, and each one of you represents something different going on, wherever we're at, we need regular reminders, constant reminders, that we are in complete need of God. He's got to be the one who does all the heavy lifting. If He doesn't show up, if He doesn't do it, what are we doing? Why are we gathering? And this psalm reminds us that God is at work in our lives. He's in all the details of our lives. And because He is working, our efforts are not wasted. Because God is at work, our efforts are not a waste of time. So this psalm celebrates the blessings of a covenant-keeping nation. This song celebrates God's investment, his protection, his provision. This psalm is a high view of God's sovereignty and his faithfulness to keep his word, his faithfulness to keep covenant. God is the source. He is the cause. God is the one in verse 1. He is building. He is watching. He is providing. And because God is involved, our labor is not in vain. Our working is not wasted. So last time I had the opportunity to speak, we looked at Psalm 95, and I kind of tongue-in-cheek said, if, if I had a life verse, it would be Psalm 127 twenty-seven two. It's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. And all the parents said, amen, right? <sighs> Sheesh. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep let's pause for a moment and think about what is this actually conveying? What is this actually talking about? Because as we look at this verse, it's really like looking in the mirror. Who hasn't found themselves burning the candle at both ends? Who hasn't been deprived of sleep by anxiety over things that are outside of our control? Who hasn't restlessly tossed and turned on our beds and... We're overrun with just the everyday things of life. What's the worst time of our day? It should be the best time of our day is at night, and yet we just we can't turn it off. And now we're up and we've been laying there looking at the ceiling and trying to figure out what in the world's going on for hours, and finally we're like, enough of this. I'm just going to get up and start working because, you know, this is not helping at all. I mean, we've all been there at different seasons in life. But in contrast to our anxious effort, our restless minds, and our wearisome worry, God gives us sleep. We can rest knowing that God is at work and He can be trusted. That's what's going on in this psalm. But as we move into checkpoint number two, it's not just that God Is involved in our lives only in building the house, but he's filling it and making it a home. Checkpoint number two unless God builds the home, verses three through five. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Remember, you're on pilgrimage. You're heading toward Jerusalem in obedience to the covenant. You're meditating on the covenant of God, the Torah, the first five books of the law. And you're singing of God's blessing. So let's consider what we would be meditating on. What would we be singing about? What passages of Scripture would come to our mind as we're on this trail and we're singing Psalm 127 of blessing of God at work? Well, I think this song celebrates Deuteronomy 28. You can turn there if you want, Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to read a portion of this, but we don't have time to read it all. In Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 1, God says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Imagine being overtaken, overrun, overwhelmed by blessing if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your herds, and your, the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl." Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. Jump down to verse 11, and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of the ground within your land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. So this song of Psalm 127 echoes the blessing of a covenant-keeping nation. But when was Israel ever really faithful to the covenant? Almost never. And so we see God always extending mercy, always giving grace, always blessing them on account of his faithfulness, not theirs. It's always God working in spite of them. If I'm honest, that sounds really familiar. (laughs) So the first stanza, God ensures that the building project happens. The city is protected. He provides safety and security in all its many forms. And then this final stanza, God accomplishes all this provision on account of his faithfulness through this covenant blessing of children. Now, in the second stanza, our English translation has interpreted this children. It should literally be translated sons. Now, our culture fixates on children in extreme ways and unhealthy ways, and it doesn't take long to see that the, our culture in which we live idolizes children and puts them on this pedestal, on this platform, and parents are just seen as morons meant to do the child's bidding and so that's what's going on in our culture where the child is viewed as superior it's one thing for us to see that taking place in our culture and to be experiencing that and it's another thing when your teenager tells you that verbally or through the death stares i was such a moron as a teenager i actually believed that i taught my parents sarcasm they just were very gracious with me. They're like, oh, what a moron. But they just loved me where I was at. But in ancient societies, the they viewed kids very similar to slaves, employees, until they came of age and the, they inherited certain things and blah, blah, blah. And then sons were always given priority and preference and more honor than daughters. It's not that they weren't valuable or all this kind of stuff, or they didn't love them or care for them, but just the culture treated kids differently than what we're used to. And so therefore, the blessing of sons when you're young meant that when you're old, you have them to look after you, take care of you. They are your inheritance. They are the ones who are going to be providing for you. And so this psalm sings of that blessing. These Sons are your small labor force to take over the family business. These sons are your small army protecting your village, defending the city. They're your support. They're providing for you social security and protection. Your sons, in this passage, they're talking about, they're your retirement plan. They're your 401k. They're your Roth IRA. That's what they're singing about is God's provision through this means. And so when you face the enemy at the gates, which that could refer to the actual army, we just saw in Deuteronomy 28, this army would come against the gate and you have a defense. But it's also talking about, it could speak to the assembly that takes place in the gate. Whether it's a small village or a city, the city center was at the gate. So commerce and legal business all would take place there. And there's a lot of different rabbit trails throughout Scripture that reinforce this. So if we had time to further explore the blessing and the cursing of Deuteronomy 28, the stark contrast between the two is eating with your kids versus eating your kids. That really is the bedtime devotional tonight, parents. Go home and read the cursing side of of Deuteronomy 28, and your kids will be sleeping in bed with you tonight because they're going to be scared to death that they'll be on the menu. So this is like dark stuff that can be going on here. But the perspective from this psalm is apart from God doing the work in our families, all of our effort is wasted. It's useless. So unless God builds the house, unless God builds the home, apart from Him, all of our effort, all of our energy, all of our work is useless. It's wasted. Think of the Old Testament example. There's a ton of them, right? But consider... Abraham. He tried to secure God's promise. So God comes to Abraham, and you know the story, and he says, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. It's not happening. It's not happening. He's waiting on God. And what we read in a couple chapters happens over years of time, right? And so in Genesis 12, God gives him the, the promise, and now it's not happening. It's not happening. They figure, let's try to figure this thing out on our own and when he does that genesis 16 what happens when abraham tries on his own we get ishmael then god steps in and provides his promise in isaac and by the time abraham gets to genesis 22 his heart's already changed that he can actually trust god with this promise he has this son. He loves this son. He almost worships this son. And God says, it's sacrifice time. And Abraham's like, well, God, you've got this. He tried on his own, useless. Now he's trusting God, and God comes through in ways that he could never understood or seen or even believed. And that's really what's going on in the psalm. Unless God is at work, our efforts are useless. It's hard, too, not to see and read and, you know, and, and hear the melody going on of this psalm and not to think of the life of King David. In Second Samuel, we've got another covenant going on. And God makes a covenant with David because David wanted to do what for God? Build a house, build the temple. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to let your son Solomon do that, who writes this psalm, but it's interesting. So as, as God speaks to David through Nathan, the prophet, in Second Samuel 7, God says, "...the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom forever. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." So God says to David, no, 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 you, you want to make a house for me, but I'm going to make a house for you. And this word house can mean literal house building structure. It can also mean lineage. It can also mean nation. And so you see the interplay of words here in the picture going on, but this gift and message of Psalm 127 doesn't stop with David and it doesn't stop with Solomon. Although it was partially fulfilled in Solomon, we see one coming on the scene who in Matthew 12, Jesus says of himself, one greater than Solomon is here. And all these promises and pictures and prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. The covenant that God made with David finds its fulfillment in the Son who would build for his father a house and fill it with children. And God says, King Jesus, I'm going to give the nations to you as your inheritance. Just impressive. All this, this one story with Jesus at the center finds its significance in him. So there's a lot of different rabbit trails that we could explore regarding this psalm. But let's consider how this psalm celebrates the blessings of a nation who kept covenant with God. But under the vassal treaty of this covenant, dependence on God was still at the heart of this. They had to trust God. It wasn't just about their doing, but it was about their heart. That's what was the center of this relationship. So the doing was always a consequence of believing. However, ever since the garden, what's our inclination? It's toward independence. It's toward, I don't need a God I don't need a savior. I've got an S on my chest. I am, I'm the one. I'm going to do this. But the psalm is calling us back to this God of the covenant. It's calling us back to sing of dependence on him and his provision and that apart from him, we can do nothing. We hear Jesus saying something very similar in John 15. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we consider this text and what it meant to them then, and as we travel through the cross and we consider the gospel, it's only fitting that we hear Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn to this very familiar passage if you'd like. But unless God shows up and demonstrates his mercy and his grace and his love, we would remain dead in our trespasses and sins. Unless God shows up and does all the saving, all of our self-rescue would be in vain. Unless God secures for us people to share in his inheritance, we have no part in the immeasurable riches of Christ. Listen as we close to Ephesians chapter 2. And meditate on the gospel. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work. And the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Pretty dark. Foreboding. It's hopeless. But God. Verse 4. But God. But God And there's more. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. This is not your own doing. Not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. Do you hear Psalm 127 at play here? Unless God does the work, our efforts are useless. Our efforts are a waste of time and they're of no result. So, as we navigate the familiar trails of life, the daily grind, the mundane, the routine, we need the constant reminder of Psalm 127 that unless God does all the heavy lifting, all of our efforts amount to nothing. We are a people who desperately need to live in dependence dependence on God. And this psalm invites us to sing of God's provision and our dependence upon Him alone. And it puts the daily grind of this trail life, a trail that we're very familiar with, day in and day out, week in and week out. It puts it in perspective by pointing us to true north. And His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to try to hear these psalms to try to wrap our mind around the picture that's being painted. And though it's not something that we're super familiar with in our culture, we're not traveling on pilgrimage to worship you on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But yet we find our way here week in and week out to be reminded that you've got this. To be reminded that no matter what this last week was or what this upcoming week is, all of our efforts apart from you Are useless and it's so cool that you still choose to use us and you work in spite of us and you love us and you know the anxiety that keeps us up at night you know the ways that we are trying to invest in our our work and our families and all these different things we're pulled in a million different directions and yet we're called back this morning to realize that you've got this And apart from you, our efforts are useless. So thanks for loving us so much that you would invest in us. Thank you for calling us as your people. May we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth as we sing and even as we scatter and leave from here and go on mission on the daily grind of life. May Jesus truly be the joy and celebration of our lives, the one who we are dependent on, who are we resting in. In Christ's name, amen.